It is a joy to have Russ back with us this morning. Um, and so I'm going to uh, just here in a second introduce Russ as he, he needs no real introduction, but I'm going to introduce Russ here in a second. Um, uh, but before I do, I'm going to read our passage for today um, from Mark. Mark 5, 21 through 34. Uh, you can follow along up here. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up beside him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing about you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Well, hello, everyone. It's good to be back. Uh, someone asked me just a moment ago, uh, kind of like jokingly, do you have nervous jitters? Yes, I have nervous jitters. Like every time I get up here, I have them. Um, but I am uh, so glad to be back, and it is so good to see each and every one of you. Uh, last week was a lot of fun just being able to be here and uh, not have any responsibilities, but just to give hugs and be present and, uh, and meet and see each of you. And um, <clears throat> I wanted to begin and just give a uh, brief statement or so about uh, sabbatical, in part because... I am generally asked two specific questions over and over and over and over, and I thought, man, maybe I could just answer these up front, and, uh, and then feel free after that, ask me any other question besides these two. Uh, so the first one was, how was sabbatical? In a word, wonderful. Incredible. Uh, I'm so grateful to each and every one of you, uh, to the staff, to the elders for the time uh, it was a gift. Uh, I'm very, very grateful. I missed you. I'm excited to be back and uh, definitely excited to spend Advent season together as we prepare for Christmas. Um, the second question that I often get asked is, uh, what did you learn? And I would like to suggest that uh, sabbatical is a bit like fasting. I don't know if you're familiar with fasting, if you've experienced that before, but uh, it is a significant change, right? You begin to alter the inputs, um, you adjust the diet or the schedule, and then your body responds to that. 
right? So it responds with withdrawal, rest, renewal, uh, new norms, new rhythms, as it's trying to figure out this change, right? And uh, sometimes fasting gives you those like mountaintop experiences where you're like, oh my goodness, this divine revelation from God, this word that I needed to hear, this specific event that took place. And sometimes it does that. And sometimes when you fast, and maybe you've been there before, you hear absolutely nothing. And it's just quiet. But what you get in that process is a new way of being in the world, right? You get this new rhythm, greater sensitivity maybe, I know that when I do an extended fast, one of the things that happens often is this sensitivity to smell and taste. Like I can be going by um, a restaurant and be like, oh my goodness, that is unbelievable. I don't know what they're making in there or what the special is tonight. And I'll be with other people and they'll be like, what do you even smell? And I'm like, you don't smell that? It's incredible. Right? Because your body has changed in a way that it's like desiring something. And then when you take that first bite, it doesn't matter if it's just like rice checks, the most bland of all bland things, right? It's some, it just like pops. The flavor, there's this explosion, there's this like energy. And, um, and I, I think that is what I've received during this sabbatical time. This uh, much needed recharge, this change of rhythm, this uh, hopefully uh, a greater sensitivity so that as I'm re-engaging that I get to hear more clearly that in the kind of normal normalcy of life that the things that I engage in, the nuances of life, like kind of the flavor comes to the surface and I can hear God more clearly and, um, and maybe experience moments of truth and um, and just be prepared to hear it. So all in all, an incredible, incredible time. So grateful and thankful and uh, I'm very glad to be back. As we um, go into the talk this morning, it's my first time. And um, I figured since it's such an historic moment in the world right now, I would start with a specific analogy that would resonate deeply with you because, you know, it is the World Cup and everything. <clears throat> and so... Um, the beautiful game is captivating, right? It is captivating and it is complex. There's so many nuances to the game that are beautiful, and yet what's interesting about it is that you can make the game of soccer also really, really simple. At its most simple form, soccer is an evasion game where you invade the other territory with a goal of trying to score. And it's really made up of four parts. I don't know if you'll be able to read that well, but typically when people talk about soccer, they talk about attacking or the offense. That's when you tend to have the ball and your intent is to score. You talk about the defense, which is when you are without the ball. And most of the time when people talk about soccer, they talk about those two parts of the game. They're the ones that uh, come to the attention the most. But there's another two parts of the game that often are not talked about, and those are what are called the transitions. It's where you transition from offense to now having to play defense, 
before you transition from defense and not having the ball to now regaining the ball and starting to attack. And it is those transitions that are significant. See, it used to be that the primary thinking about soccer and the way that you would coach it was to talk and spend all of your time thinking about offense or defense. And that those things would be the most vital or the most important parts of the game. But the current thinking suggests that it's actually the transitions that make the most significant impact on the outcome of the game. In fact, yesterday would have been a great case in point that it is the transition that actually, or the lack thereof of one particular team, um, had a significant impact on the game. And I want to suggest this morning that transitions in life are no different. That those are the moments that are actually the most pivotal. Transitions make up the game, right? We use all kinds of words for transitions. We say things like we are in the midst of change or adjustments to the norm or difficulties, trials, impediments. Another word that we give them is the word interruptions. Interruptions. Life is full of interruptions, unexpected moments, altered hopes, changes of plan, chaos that somehow enters that was not planned for. And this week, the more that I have been thinking about interruptions, the more I have started to conclude that maybe the entire story of Scripture is one interruption after another, after another, after another. So you start with an interruption, right? God speaks, and the formless void was interrupted. A little bit into the story, sin interrupts this perfect creation, this perfect kingdom, and it alters. And that interruption leads to another interruption of language with the Tower of Babel and the division of people all over the world. And then there's another interruption with Abraham where God says, look, you're going to be the father of a nation. And then Moses is interrupted with a burning bush. And then Israel experiences interruption after interruption after interruption through judges and kings and trials and wilderness wanderings and people like Gideon who are threshing wheat in a wine press and over and over you get these interruptions. And this time of year should cue us into another significant interruption. One in which Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? It's a bit of an interruption, right? The incarnation itself is a divine interruption, an altering, an inbreaking, a complete change. And our gospel reading for today, the one that Jerusha just read moments ago, is one of my favorite interruption stories. It's found in Mark 5, and if you have your Bible and want to turn there, great. Uh, We're not going to refer back to the passage per se, so it might help you just to see uh, how the story goes. But the story starts off with uh, Jesus making his way back. He had just uh, healed the demon-possessed man, 
And uh, I mean, a crazy scene. And if you remember the story, like all the pigs rush into the water and are drowned. And then they all come out to Jesus and they go, you got to get out of here. And so he jumps back on the boat and he sails across to the other side. And when he gets to the side, there's this huge crowd waiting for him. His peace and quiet is interrupted immediately. And he gets out of the boat. And there's all these people around him in this throng of people. And uh, suddenly, the story tells us that the crowd kind of parts. And slowly, a man approaches Jesus. This is Jairus. He is one of the synagogue leaders. He was kind of responsible for study and prayer. This was a significantly important person in the community. Somebody that had, uh, everyone had a lot of respect for and he walks, I can just picture it, he walks through this crowd with like a quiet dignity about him. And he makes his way up to Jesus and he does the unexpected, the unthinkable really, culturally. And he throws himself at Jesus' feet. And everyone probably around is surprised, like, what is going on? And he throws himself at Jesus' feet And in a voice that probably was shaking with emotion and fatigue and desperation, he pleads with Jesus and he says, my daughter. I kind of picture him saying, like, my little girl. right? She's dying. Please, will you come? I know you can make her well. And So you have this interruption of a crowd and then that crowd is interrupted with Jairus who's come through and then Jesus says, let's go, we're on a mission. And so they start to make their way toward Jairus' house. But the crowd, the text says, is like thronging around him. Meaning like there's just people bumping up against people, stumbling over people. And he's making his way, trying to get to where he needs to go. And this crowd... is like scurrying along with him, surrounding him, wanting to be close. And all of a sudden, Jesus kind of hits like the pause button and shouts out, who touched me? And as the text says, all the disciples are like, come on, are you serious? Like everybody is. And he wants to know. And there is the second interruption. This interruption that, again, the crowd parts, but probably for an entirely different reason, right? Not out of respect, but out of the fact that this woman who's unclean is coming through and they don't want anything to do with her. And so they part and she makes her way forward and in a voice probably with equal emotion to Jairus, fatigue, despair, she admits that she touched his cloak. And uh, she is the opposite of Jairus, to say the least, right? You have a powerful, important man, uh, wealthy, who comes forward, asks something of Jesus, and he begins to act upon it. She is a woman on the fringe of society, cut off from her community, cut off from her family, her neighbors. She's unclean, isolated, likely cast out. No one's spending time with her. She couldn't enter the synagogue. She couldn't go to worship. Uh, She couldn't participate in communal activities that everyone else was experiencing. And on top of that, the text tells us that she's poor, that she spent all of her money trying to get healthy to be able to re-engage community, to 
be able to worship again. And no doctor has been able to figure it out. And she's just spending money and she has none left. And she is the complete opposite of Jairus. And then the text tells us that this has been her story for 12 years. This isn't just a momentary pain, a momentary interruption. This is a 12-year-long interruption. Separated, alone, rejected for 12 years. That's 4,380 days of being alone, neglected, and at a loss. And so she comes and she interrupts Jesus. And just about the time in the story where we're going to see some resolution as to what happened in the life of this particular lady, Jesus is interrupted by Jairus's, like servants who come to tell of his daughter's death. And so the interruption is interrupted by another interruption. And you start to see that maybe the whole point of this story is not so much the resurrection of Jairus' daughter at the end of the story, but maybe just the interruption. That the whole point is life is full of interruptions. That these interruptions, trials, difficulties, uncertainties, mysteries, that all of this transition is actually a moment in time that moves us toward what are defined as thin spaces. Moments where heaven touches earth and you sense something significant is happening. Because some of the best and most important moments are those transitions, those interruptions. And I've been asking myself the question this week, over and over and over, what, what does Mark want his readers to understand from this story? Why would he include it? And why would he frame it the way he did where there was an interruption followed by an interruption the whole way through? Like, What is he trying to get us to see? As we sit here, years and years and years removed from that story, and yet I believe it's as relevant today as it was then, what would Mark want us to see? And I want to suggest a couple things this morning that maybe we could um, wrestle with throughout the week. And my, my ask really is to say, just, just choose one of them. Choose one of these ideas and let it sit with you a little bit and uh, see how this story of interruption might interrupt your Advent season and uh, bring about change. So, I want to suggest a few. The first is this, that Jesus is not afraid of being interrupted. Maybe what Mark wanted us to recognize because it was interruption after interruption, that Jesus is not afraid. He's in the midst of a crowd. There's chaos all around him. It's hectic. There's a busy life going on. He's on a mission to go do something and then he's interrupted again. And I was conditioned, maybe you were too, from the time I was a little child to uh, wait my turn, to be patient, to not interrupt. I would come up, my parents, my dad, bless my dad, never 
is there anyone, even the custodian, that left the church later than my dad? Talked to every single person, every person. He wasn't on staff. He was just there to hang out and talk to everybody. And I remember being a little kid coming up and going like, and it, no, wait your turn, right? Don't interrupt. Now, there's a lot of good sense about not interrupting culturally. That's really good. But I wonder if when it comes to Jesus that maybe that can be disregarded. But maybe he's all, always there for the interruption. Maybe that's what he wants to be about. That's why he says to his disciples, he scolds them and says, suffer the little kids to come unto me. Like, they're going to interrupt. I know that. That's what I'm here for. Like, bring on the interruption. Or he says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. Find rest. Like, interrupt. Put the weight on me. I'm good for it. Right? And you can tell Jesus isn't afraid to be interrupted by his response. He could have been frustrated. He could have been exasperated. He could have said like, in anger, like, look, I'm on my way to heal a girl, to resurrect a girl, and you're getting in my way, and you touch me, and this is a problem. Like, let's... No. His response. First, the text tells us that he stops and hears her story, but like her whole story. The text says that she shared her whole truth. And I don't think what the text means in there is that she was like, here's the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I touched you. End of story. I think it was probably like, so the first doctor that I went to said that he could do this for me and nothing happened. And then a couple years went by and then this happened and she just kept sharing her truth. And he was there for it. I don't know how long it took. The text doesn't seem to indicate, but obviously it took long enough that the servants had time to travel and get there and say, hey, it's too late. So he's in the midst of a crowd on his way on a mission and he stops and he hears her whole story. He made time for her. Not only that, he embraces her with this term of affection where he calls her a daughter. He doesn't know who she is. And he says, daughter, my daughter, right? He reminds us that every son and daughter is a son or daughter of the king. And daughters of the king receive healing and attention and empathy and a listening ear. And then he restores her. Not just in health, but back into community back into worship. Because Jesus, when He interacts with you, doesn't leave you in the condition in which you came to Him. Right? He's always in the process of bringing compassion and healing. And, and the beautiful thing about that is it, it, like, it doesn't run out. It's not like He only has a limited amount that He like, disperses and if you don't get there in time, like, there's none left for you. He just keeps giving out of this deep well. So I wonder if Mark, if he was telling us what we might learn from this, might just say, you know what? Interrupt God. Interrupt Him. Right? Barge into the throne room and make a request. Don't be afraid. Step into it. Have a chat. 
You don't have to tiptoe up and tug on his coat and go, are we leaving soon? Because I'm really hungry. No. You just interrupt. He's good for it. He's been doing this a long time. He's eager to hear. So don't let fear or shame or any other hindrance stop you. Interrupt. Second thing perhaps Mark would want us to understand is that we should let interruptions be our teacher. I think each person in this story and perhaps the whole crowd realized that the interruption was the teacher. Yesterday, we had uh, a beautiful time in this space, remembering the life of Cody. And the service was filled with laughter, it was filled with tears, with stories, uh, with incredible words shared uh, of the feelings and emotions that people are experiencing. And person after person that shared, every, every single one of them, I believe, if my memory is correct, mentioned the interruption of cancer. Every one of them. But everyone also quickly followed with this understanding of the posture that Cody took. I mean, person after person shared that what Cody experienced in that moment was he allowed the interruption to be the teacher. He allowed the circumstances that came to change him, to instruct him. And he embodied what I think one of the speakers shared, where he, <clears throat> he knew how to embrace the suck. Maybe you've heard that term before. The hard stuff, the challenge, the difficulty, the gritty, Right? Because the suck is where the diamonds are. Right? I think that's why it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when we face trials, right? Because in the trials is where the gold is. Right? The change comes in the challenge. What you're walking through right now has the opportunity to alter your way of living to change the very expression of your life. Because interruptions can be the greatest teacher. Henry Nouwen, reflecting on interruptions, said this, It has been the interruptions to my everyday life that have most revealed to me the divine mystery of which I am a part. All of these interruptions presented themselves as opportunities, invited me to look in a new way at my identity before God. Each interruption took something away from me. Each interruption offered something new. So, my question is, what's the interruption that you're in the midst of? And how might that interruption be a teacher? Final idea that perhaps Mark would want us to get as we wrestle with this text. And that is to embrace interruptions with a yes. Embrace interruptions with a yes. <clears throat> this last week I was sitting in the office and um, was kind of working, jotting down some notes or some ideas about this, and I looked up on the wall, and we have this uh, really cool picture of, uh, of Mary. And Mary's standing there, like, contemplating and, like, putting her hand on her belly. And it's this really beautiful 
uh, imagery around the incarnation. And <clears throat> it's, what's so interesting to me about it is obviously she didn't see it coming, right? She wasn't expecting, planning for this interruption. And the most divine and the most important of all interruptions comes and her family and friends and community don't see the interruption in a positive way. In fact, uh, there's a lot of reason to believe that the reason they didn't have any room in the inn wasn't just because they were like, oh, no vacancy, we're super full for the census, right? It was more than that. It likely was because her family was like, yeah, there's no room for you here because this interruption is not the plan, right? And so... They didn't see it as an inbreaking of the kingdom. They didn't see it as this divine moment. And the truth is, every time we have an interruption, we have an opportunity to make a choice to either avoid the interruption or to embrace the interruption. To see it as an inconvenience, a trial, something that's to be avoided at all cost, or as an opportunity to say yes. What's interesting is that Mary says it this way, let it be to me according to your word, which is like this big emphatic, yes. Yes, I'll embrace this. Yes, we're going to do this, right? The biggest interruption of all, and she answers it with a yes. I think one of the challenges of just gospel living or kingdom living is to make room for interruptions. To be able to hear the, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt, but, and instantly just get a smile on your face. Because God only knows what's going to happen in that moment, right? Like what gifts might be given and received, how we might be partakers of God's grace, how we might carry someone else's pain or share in someone else's joy and how we might experience God more fully in the midst of it. Because interruptions are opportunities of divine grace just waiting to be recognized and received. I'm going to say that again. Interruptions are opportunities of divine grace just waiting to be recognized and received. And in fact, I think the risen Christ is often in the shadows of the interruption always present and around. So I think the challenge is to say yes to the interruption. But I want to add one other little wrinkle to this. Because I think the challenge of following Christ also probably implies with it a willingness to be the interrupter. To be the one that interrupts. And I mean that in a couple ways. I think we are called to interrupt acts of hatred and evil and oppression wherever they can be found. To stand for justice is an important and significant role of followers of Jesus. But I think an even harder move is to interrupt a friend. Like that might be one of the hardest, right? Because I can kind of sometimes, if I'm being honest with you, hide behind the interruption of justice, that I can stand up for my friends 
of color who are being marginalized or my brothers and sisters in the LGBT community that are being mistreated. And I can stand for that, I can talk about that, I can say that, but at the same time, I can like turn a blind eye to the things that I should probably say something about, but there's, they're pretty close to home and I don't want to. I don't know if you experience that same feeling that I do, but I want to be the first to stand up for justice, but I also don't want to be the first to tell my friend that they're not engaging with community the way that we need them to, right? I need you in group. I need to be around you. I need to be present with you, right? Or, man, you seem to be doing a lot of things. What are, you, what are you doing with your time for others? Are you creating space for that in your life? Or what does your generosity look like in this season? Because what we really need in the world is generosity. There are needs that need to be met. Are you participating in that? Or hey, the way that you're talking about your coworker is not the kind of way that we should be discussing relationships and life and people. I want to avoid those a lot of the time, if I'm honest. Pretend that they're not present. But then stand for justice at the same time. <clears throat> and I'm not saying we should say those things out of guilt or fear or to like force someone to do something that the Spirit hasn't convicted them to do. No. I think we're supposed to say those things out of participation, out of calling, out of a longing to say like, can you join? I need your help. Can you join me in this? Can we do this together? Because I need you to sharpen me as much as I want to be around and present with you. This thing that we're giving to that needs time and effort and money, and like, we need you in that too. And that that becomes this interruption from a friend that like steers community forward. All of these interruptions are opportunities to participate in the life of the kingdom. And as you think about those this week, oh, I hope you'll be reminded of this passage, of this beautiful woman who's interrupted and interrupting God and is invited into a completely changed life. And that this Advent season, the gift of Jesus, as the divine interrupter, would remind us to keep saying yes to the interruption over and over again. And may we pray with all of God's followers. May you come. May your advent be soon. We long for your return. Pray. God, may you come and interrupt us anew. This Advent season is all about arrival or coming, and uh, what we long for is for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth in this place where we're present, 
as it is in all the divine spaces of the world. So God, please interrupt us. Interrupt us individually this season. Interrupt us communally this season. May we be attentive and listen and sense and be aware and anticipate and say yes to the times that you do interrupt because we know that it's an opportunity to see you. And God, as we sing this final song and wrap up with a benediction, may we be aware of your presence now. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.